February 7th, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and we will start with Tuesday night's biggest headline, and that was Tennessee's 61-59 win at Rupp Arena. Yes, uh, the Vols completed the regular season sweep of Kentucky, exactly like Norlander and I predicted it would not happen. And UK has now lost multiple league games at home uh, for the first time since 2014. And the Wildcats are now on a two-game losing streak. That could easily turn into a four-game losing streak, considering uh, their next two games are road games. First at Texas A&M this weekend, then at Auburn next Wednesday night. Trivia time, Norlander. Love it. When was the last time John Calipari lost four straight games? I will go with the obvious answer and say that it happened 2012-2013. It did not. That's an incorrect answer. I cannot accept it. Well, you and, I, and so therefore you will not, and that is the correct response. So what is the answer? Back in February, March 2005, when his Memphis team lost consecutive games to Charlotte, Louisville, St. Louis, and Cincinnati before landing in the NIT, thanks to some missed Darius Washington free throws. They haven't lost. He hasn't lost four consecutive games since February, March 2005, which is kind of remarkable, right? That is pretty... That's pretty impressive more than anything because no matter the talent you have to avoid like that that kind of skid, I mean almost every coach, you know, within a 5-year period, it might just have one one uh, skid like that at least, but he hasn't gone since since 05. Um what do you want to get into here? Because I, I understand, like, listen, we we uh, we pick our topics. We are aware of our listenership. And I'm sure that a lot of people are like, Kentucky sucks. I don't want to hear about Kentucky. But the fact of the matter is, Kentucky is a top two program of natural in- national interest. And I would like to discuss a little bit of what I wrote. But I also have no problem giving more attention to what Tennessee is doing here. Because what Tennessee is doing, even though it does not have national appeal... And I'd guess at least 80% of this podcast couldn't name you two players on Tennessee right now. Um, they are developing into a realistic Final Four hopeful at this stage. Where do you want to go with this, GP? I, I want to talk about both, but let's uh, stay on Kentucky for a moment because you wrote about them last night. Given the opportunity to write about either, you chose to write about Kentucky. Because that's the, that's, that's the play in, in that situation. I, I agree you know? 100%. That's why when people said – we got a tweet last night from somebody saying, please don't talk about Kentucky again on the podcast. And with I, like, I hear you, that person – but that is one person. We're appealing to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And Kentucky, great is a story. Kentucky, struggling is a story. Um, you know, like the, 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 that, I mean, listen, I've been hosting a radio show long enough to know what you talk about and what you don't talk about. And if you're hosting a college basketball podcast, I'm talking about Kentucky um, particularly after it just lost for the second time inside Rupp Arena, particularly after it just fell to 6-5 and five in the SEC, particularly after um, they've suffered two consecutive losses, are at risk of falling out of the top 25, and at risk of enduring a four-game losing streak for the, uh, for the reasons we've already stated, uh, Kentucky is the big national story. It just is. Like, if you turn on PTI this afternoon, if they talk college basketball at all, Kentucky's probably going to be on the list of things they discuss. So they lose to Tennessee, which wasn't a big surprise. I mean, Kentucky was only like a two-point favorite at tip-off. But still, you and I um, on the previous podcast said, look, I'm not going to pick against Kentucky at home. And we we obviously should have because Kentucky lost at home. 
And so from there, you decided to write. What points did you make? Well, I, I went into a few things. I didn't want to keep beating the, the dead horse. That is, Kevin Knox is, is absolutely uh, the barometer for this team. And when he does not play well, they just simply don't look like they have much of a shot of beating any team worth its salt, ranked type team. And Knox was just whatever last night. 10 points, 3 of 11 shooting. Only had one or two really solid plays from what I watched and what I saw there. And I also noted that... For as young as this Kentucky team is, the only player on a game-in, game-out basis when I watch Kentucky that looks like he gives a damn is Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And and sometimes I watch him and I'm like, wow, I can see this dude absolutely elevating to the next level and becoming a really solid NBA player, which I didn't necessarily think was going to be the case when we started the season. But I, I still think Knox is their most talented and most important player. But Gilgis-Alexander is clearly the guy that is trying to carry this team at this point, And I just don't think that he can do it all on his own. I think it's surprising that... Hamadou Diallo has become as much of a non-factor as he has. I remember when he was debating going to the draft or not, and at that point we thought Kentucky's 2017-2018 season, its successes could hinge on whether or not Diallo came back. He came back. There was a lot of optimism. Soon thereafter, Kentucky wrapped up the number one recruiting class in the country, which only got usurped when Bagley went to Duke. And yet when you watch Diallo now, you kinda, I'm kind of thinking like he's got no business declaring for the NBA after this point. Maybe he will regardless because athletically, He's really uh, he's undeniably a top five prospect in my opinion in, in this crop of players. And defensively, he can get there, but offensively, he's got so such a long way to go. And so my points were uh, going back into a little bit of that. But you know, Tennessee is a better, tougher basketball team than Kentucky is, and that can almost never be said. Like that might have been able to have been said like five times ever in previous seasons prior to this one. And Kentucky's got to look forward to this schedule and realize that it's staring down. Uh, what is a very real possibility of slipping in the back bracket. Palm had him as a, as a five in the bracket on the site heading into the Tennessee game. I think that was probably where I would have had him. Now they're at least a six for sure. And if they lose at A&M, a, a talented A&M team, by the way, and then they lose at Auburn, or even if they split, like they're still going to be slipping in that seven, eight range. And I don't think that they're going to be able to win their way out of it. Now the win at West Virginia has shown with Kentucky that yeah, they they do have a they have an ability to go into a hostile environment against an NCAA tournament team and, and steal a win. Like I'm never going to completely write off this team. And in fact, if they're in that seven to ten range, I think that's captivating as hell. Like I, that's going to be must watch no matter what one or two seed uh, Kentucky could face in the second round if they wind up in, in that part of the bracket. Even if Kentucky is frustrating to watch, I, I still think that. Um, it makes for an even more dramatic first weekend of the tournament when you don't have Kentucky on the one or two line, like what we saw with uh, Wichita State a few years ago. Uh, but ultimately, this could be headed toward a situation where they just never get it going. And it winds up being more disappointing than even the New Orleans Noel 2012-2013 season, because even then they had the injury to Noel, which was certainly uh, a spirit killer, and they kind of spiraled a little bit after that. If you have this much talent, no major injuries, and you're not like at least a Noel team, like they they put forth more consistent and better effort than I think this team is, and they're still learning. Um, that could be ultimately uh, right right there, GP. In my opinion, in terms of, of disappointing seasons, I just think that we are headed that way. I'm not seeing a lot of reason to believe that Kentucky is going to be capable of flipping a switch, turning around, and we look up and they're like, oh no, yeah, that's a three seed for sure. I'm, I just I, I I don't see how they're going to get to that point. I agree with you. Um, 
you know, I think it's important to remember about that 2013 team. People always point to it as the NIT team lost to Robert Morris. And then they know, yeah, Nerlens Noel got hurt. But it's like almost a side note. Like, oh, yeah, that's the year also they lost Nerlens Noel. Like, accurately stated, that's the year, the one year, John at Kentucky lost his best player. And when Nerlens went down, they were still a top 20 team. Like, it, that team was better healthy than this team is healthy which means this is the worst healthy John Calipari uh, Kentucky team ever and really the worst John Calipari coach team healthy probably since that 2005 Memphis team that uh, we referenced earlier that missed the NCAA tournament when Darius Washington missed those free throws in the championship game of the CUSA tournament. So it's been a long time since John's had a team struggle like this, which can actually actually be twisted into a compliment because like it's been a long time since he's had a team around a borderline top 30 team. Like, like that's amazing. Since yeah. like th th this team is still top 30 at Ken Palm, just disappointing relative to John's own standard at Kentucky and the preseason ranking that was a uh, attached to it. All that's so I'm, I would advise Kentucky fans, like, don't flip out. Your team's still, I think, going to the NCAA tournament. And it might actually get worse before it gets better. But the resume right now isn't that bad. Four top 50 Kempom wins, only two sub-40 losses. The resume's not bad. And it's just not what Kentucky's used to. So I still think they're going to the NCAA tournament. But I do not think they're going to flip a switch like they have before. I just don't see it. And it is the only reason to not completely rule it out would be because John has taken two teams that lost six games in the SEC to the Final Four before. He's obviously done it with undefeated teams in the SEC, taking them to the Final Four. But he's also taken like teams that struggled around this time of the year, and then they just flipped the switch. But when you look at this roster, I don't see a switch to flip. I don't think the top of the roster is as good as the top of those other rosters were. Like, even in a season when he struggled, at least he still had Julius Randle. You know, there's not Julius Randle on this team. Mm -hmm. As I noted on a podcast a few weeks ago, uh, assuming that Kevin Knox or Hamadou Diallo or Jared Vanderbilt aren't top 10 picks in this upcoming draft, and it doesn't look like any of them are, this will be the first time John hasn't operated with a top 10 freshman um, since 2007. You know, starting with Derrick Rose, then Tyreek Evans, then on to the Kentucky players. He's had a top 10 pick in every single draft. This time he doesn't. And so like I said on this podcast before, and like I said on CBS Sports Network last night, all five-star prospects are not created equal. He has a bunch of them right now. Kevin Knox is not Carl Anthony Towns. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is not De'Aaron Fox. Quade Green is not John Wall. And I think that's starting – not starting. It's been there. It's showed up for a while now. But it's certainly um, – been highlighted i think they'll still be fine i think they'll still go to the tournament i think they'll still be a scary out but do i at this point expect this team to play in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament i don't do yeah you? before we get to tennessee let's do a quick resume review on kentucky so people have uh, some context on what calipari and big blue nation's looking at here um non-conference wise they weren't helped out a lot they needed that win in retrospect against kansas didn't get it in the champions classic so what are their best wins in the non-con 
Well, you win at West Virginia, it's absolutely massive, if not downright mandatory. If that was not a win, I think we'd have a real discussion right now about Kentucky being on the bubble. But they have the win, and that's going to be worth tremendous amounts of weight in the committee room. Aside from that in the non-con, there's not a ton there because they did not go and play on the road anywhere else. So the best win is against the Virginia Tech team that hasn't solidified its NCAA tournament status by any means. And Louisville, we can say the same for. With Louisville losing earlier this week, you look at the Cardinals' resume overall, and it is fairly weak right now. Louisville's in some serious need in the ACC of picking up victories against NCAA tournament quality teams. That has um, a byproduct uh, or an aftershock effect with Kentucky there. Virginia Tech and Louisville are the two other really good wins. They beat Vermont, and that's don't get me wrong, Vermont's a really quality team. In fact, I would like to see the committee uh I guess reward Kentucky's non-con the same way that it might in the inverse if Vermont had a home win against a team that was a top 55-60 team overall. It's not going to think that but puts them over the hump. But I will give UVM credit, and Kentucky does have that win. But overall, they're lacking. And then you look in the league here. See, Kentucky doesn't have a, a, a truthfully awful loss, the worst loss on the schedule metrics-wise, the worst loss on the schedule is probably on a is probably on a neutral to UCLA. Um, at South Carolina is the worst loss they've had against the team record-wise and maybe overall in terms of strength. But there's nothing glaring there. But they don't have good wins in the league. Like, they've defeated A&M. Okay, not in the tournament right now. Defeated Georgia, not close to the tournament. Vanderbilt, nope. Mississippi State. Bubblicious. In fact, Mississippi State might be on the top of paper tiger rankings because a lot of people don't think that team is for real. And then they got a win over Vandy. So as we look forward, Kentucky has four road games and three home games left. Best case scenario is a five and two run, and if they do that, that's great. It might be enough to get them into that five seed, sixteen six seed range overall. Particularly if they can steal one at Auburn. Don't think they're going to do that. So this is why, on top of the losing and the way they they've lost, you take a look at the resume at the whole here. They are just they don't have enough heft. They can still get it because they have AM Auburn play Bama. Also, like the SEC is just filled with these teams like Bama, Arkansas, Missouri, and Florida are still to come uh, with Kentucky in addition to AM and Auburn. And there's a lot of teams in there that are just floating in that eight seed to first four out range right now with the SEC. Kentucky's gonna, I think gonna get enough wins to finally and safely get in, but at the end of the day, unless they make the SEC title game, I just don't get the sense that they're going to have so much on their resume. The Cal's not going to be able to go on selection shows as he does every single year and rail against the committee about how his program was wrong. I just don't see a situation where there's enough there that he'll actually have a case to do that. I think they're headed for that 6-7-8 range C. And like if it's 7-8, then you're – obviously I'm not telling you something you don't know. You're playing a 1-2 round of 32 – that's if you get out of the round of 64, and then you're up against it. I mean, you get, you play in a second round game against Villanova, Xavier. Play, like, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Now, now you're up against. Like, you want you want to throw those five freshmen out there against Virginia? Ah, that would be. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, mean, I could. I, I mean, they, they might they might not score ever. Maybe never score. Oh, my God. It would be the most Virginia thing ever if they lost to Kentucky in that situation. They have no <laughs> business to it the way that they're playing right now. But wow, yeah. Yeah, so like I said earlier, I would um, I, I think this team's still good. I think it's going to safely get into the NCAA tournament. But I would bet if it was just like we play Trey Young over-under, let's play Kentucky mm-hmm. over-under, like get to the Sweet 16, don't get to the Sweet 16. No, no, no. 16. How about Kentucky over-under uh, 1.5 NCAA tournament wins? 
I would take under. Uh, I think I would too. And we say that knowing full well that Kentucky has entered the tournament in years past. Sure. And totally just, you know, made Final Fours when people had doubted them otherwise. But this this team just, it feels different. Right. Like, for instance, when they were an eight seed and they got one seed Wichita State in the round of 32, I, I picked Wichita State. But I also was smart enough to know I will not be surprised if Kentucky wins that game. Um, to the contrary, if 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 Kentucky's an eight seed again and they're matched up with a one seed, I will be surprised if this Kentucky team is able to beat a one seed. Doesn't mean it can't happen. Like like again, John's taken two six loss SEC teams to the Final Four. He might do it again, but um, I mean honestly, this is probably going to be more than a six loss SEC team. Might be more like a seven eight loss SEC team. And uh, again, I'd just be surprised. It's a tournament. Who knows? But I'd be surprised. Let's talk about Tennessee. Because that is, I think on some level, maybe even more remarkable than Auburn. Auburn, Because at least with Auburn, they've got like top 100 guys on the roster, top 50 guys on the roster. Tennessee's roster is just a bunch of dudes who hadn't done anything in this year. I mean, before this year. Like, I was on a radio station yesterday, and they said, so that Rick Barnes hire is looking like a genius hire, right? And I said, well, like at the moment, but it didn't through two through two years because he wasn't recruiting at a high level. He went um, he went 15 and 19 in his first year with a six and 12 SEC record, didn't recruit, went 16 and 16 in his second year with an eight and 10 SEC record, didn't recruit. And now they're 18 and five overall, eight and three in the SEC top 20 in all of the polls, top 10 at Ken Palm, and their leading scorer, Grant Williams, ranked 191st in the class of 2016. Second leading scorer, scorer Admiral Schofield, ranked 251, class of 2015. Third leading scorer, Lamont Turner, ranked number 144 in 2015. Fourth leading scorer, Jordan Bowden, number 262 in 2016. Fifth leading scorer, Jordan Bone, number 171 in 2016. And that's it. I mean, that's just that you keep going, it gets worse. And they are, somehow that team has been molded into one of the very best teams in America. I like, again, I, I think we've spent a lot of time focused on Auburn losing two players to the FBI investigation, still sole possession of first place in the SEC. That Tennessee roster being in sole possession a second? And not even like a bad SEC, but an SEC that might send eight teams to the NCAA tournament. It is an incredible story. It is, and I get the sense that a lot of people aren't going to buy into this Tennessee team. Over under Tennessee 2.5 NCAA tournament wins right now, GP. I, are you going over? I would go under. I mean, okay. That, <laughs> I mean, like two. That means that means, that means Sweet Sixteen at best. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I'm not putting a ceiling on anything or anybody. But right. if you ask me, hey, here's a thousand bucks, bet it over or under. Sure. I would like, – it's just like when people ask me about a Final Four, like – and we're not going to revisit it, but like can Kansas make the Final Four? Yes. Will Kansas make the Final Four? Yes or no? thousand bucks on the line. I'll say no. And, but here's the thing. I'll say no about everybody. Even Nova? I think bucks? I would. I think I would. Even though like they're great. They're legitimately a great basketball team. But I think I'd be smart to just say 
if the question is yes or no, mm. this team will make the Final Four. Thousand bucks on the line. Even with Villanova, I think I'd probably say no. It's probably the smart bet here. Uh, Tennessee's won six straight, and I their defense looks tremendous. Um, they forced Gilgis Alexander into a bad turnover, and then weirdly, like Kentucky just like stopped playing, and then they got a breakaway to get a three point lead, um, and that really was the game there in the final ten fifteen seconds overall. Um, I love the name Ad- Admiral Schofield, by the way. So that's good. Just, that's a great name, man. Who names their kid Admiral? I think that's awesome. Uh, Tennessee has no bad losses. It's worst loss at Arkansas in overtime. Otherwise, you're looking at Villanova, North Carolina, Auburn, and at Missouri, and a Missouri team that's looking pretty solid right now. And who knows, maybe as a quick side note, we'll get into this on a future podcast. Conzo Martin is now speaking publicly about what I think the people have privately thought might be a possibility Michael Porter might actually get on the floor later this season right Missouri would be a lot of fun and very interesting if that happens uh but Tennessee that was their last loss was at Mizzou on January 17th since then riding a six-game win streak their next game is at Alabama on Saturday you know Bama could really really use that win uh they are an up and down team extremely unpredictable nothing but love for Rick Barnes here I <laughs> I I did not think this team was going to be anything close. Like I was, like many other people. Just, I know no we, we hit this on the. I know we hit this on the last podcast. But even still, last night I was impressed with the. Even though Kentucky's got all of its faults, for Tennessee to show up the way that it did, I wouldn't have had. I really wouldn't have thought less of Tennessee if it lost that game by ten points and Rupp instead played it well, get the win, still in the hunt for the SEC title overall. This is obviously one of the best coaching jobs of Rick Barnes's career, and now he's in a neck and neck race with Pearl in his own league for uh, for coach of the year in the SEC, and certainly uh, there able to continue winning Barnes will be in that discussion for national coach of the year as well we have no shortages of candidates this season props to Tennessee but I just keep coming back to uh, the general public will not buy in on this team because it has no star because Barnes has not won big in the NCAA tournament and because it was not good the past two years so they're just hey keep killing it volunteers more love more power to you um but generally speaking when you lack those three facets i just mentioned people just aren't going to buy into you it's just it's just not going to happen uh but we could have a situation where defensively they're a top five team and potentially maybe they are able to repeat even though this wouldn't be as off the radar as south carolina last season but sec to sec you get a defensive-minded sec team that is able to win games on its terms it's not out of the question they could repeat what uh, the Gamecocks did and certainly make a Final Four? Uh, a few things. Um, for what it's worth, and it might be worth absolutely nothing, but I talked with somebody earlier this week who's close with the Porter family, who like had recently spoken to the Porter family, and that person, again, for whatever it's worth, seemed to think it was unlikely that Michael Porter would play college basketball this year, that he might get to a point where he could technically do it like he could get on the court, he would be cleared to do it, but the risk involved with somebody who has that much money attached to them was something that the family was at least conscious of. Like, like, do you realize what you're doing to try to play five games? Like, do you realize if you look bad, it could cost you millions of dollars. If you get hurt, it could cost you millions of dollars. Or do you benefit from simply saying, you know what? Uh, evaluate me on what you saw pre-Missouri and evaluate me when you get me into workouts, but don't evaluate. I don't want any video evidence of what I look like playing in games for the first time post 
back procedure. Uh, I, I don't I don't want that affecting like they're at least aware of that, and that is that is something that they are considering, and it frankly it is something that they should consider. Um, I'm not sure Michael looking rusty or uncomfortable or bad would cost him significantly in the draft as much as like getting hurt again would cost him significantly in the draft. Um, but it could. And so again, don't rule it out because for Conzo to say that publicly suggests that there's at least a chance and there is a chance, but again, for whatever it's worth, somebody I talked to who knows the Porter family was, I asked them like, if we're just playing again, yes or no, he leaned more toward, I'd be surprised. Probably not, but maybe, uh, we'll see. Uh, with this SEC team uh, in Tennessee, they were picked 13th in the preseason poll. There's only 14 teams in the SEC. So when you say you didn't expect this, nobody expected this. And there was literally no reason to expect this. Sometimes you look at teams that are surprising and you go, yeah, maybe I should have saw this coming. There was nothing. There's nothing there to, to, to make anybody think this was on tap uh, for Tennessee, which makes it a, an incredible story. And I know that there are some people out there who will use this story to rationalize a handful of things, that recruiting rankings don't matter, that sometimes teams just do get better year over year, because Tennessee is a great example of that. This is not top 100 recruits. It's not top 50 recruits. It's not McDonald's All-Americans. And they weren't guys who were good last year and just got better this year. They were guys who were bad last year, and they're amazing this year. It's a weird story. It is also a total outlier from reality. Um, it's a little bit like when people point to this and say, well, maybe you can build a top 15 team this way. It's like saying maybe you can be a first-team All-NBA guy in the second round because you point to Draymond Green. Or you could be a GOAT quarterback drafted in the sixth round because you point to Tom Brady. Like those stories, are, you could be an amazing six-foot scoring guard because like Allen Iverson was like these things do happen sometimes, but uh, when they do happen, you should appreciate them, be amazed by them, but don't, don't believe that it's a formula for success because it's not a formula uh, for success. There was another uh, really great game and actually a better game than Tennessee, Kentucky, because it wasn't a great game, Tennessee, Kentucky, but high profile game um, that was actually fun, went to overtime it was Xavier at Butler. When I first noticed that the game had even tipped off, because we were like in production meetings and stuff, I was like, oh, because it started like 30 minutes earlier than All right, 630 most, tip. Yeah. Yeah. So it started 30 minutes earlier than most college basketball games start. So I looked up, Xavier was up 29 to 11. And I'm like, oh, wow. They went and jumped on him, that Hinkle. And then Butler, of course, comes back. And then, you know, we're in overtime. Ultimately, Xavier wins. Um, so that gives them eight top 50 Kimpom wins. They're. Uh, ranked fifth in the CBS Sports Top 25 and one right now, which means a number one seed in the NCAA tournament is definitely within reach. And Trayvon Blue was awesome. And I think what you said about Tennessee applies to him in a little bit of a twisted way. The reason you said, well, people, you know, don't talk about Tennessee so much or won't press Tennessee. You know, they don't have stars. They're not this. They, you know, Rick has a, a history of uh, not flourishing in the NCAA tournament. Uh, we also, and you and I are guilty of this, perhaps me more than you, um, 
we love talking about Marvin Bagley and DeAndre Ayton and Michael Porter and Trey Young, these amazing college basketball players who are usually young and also projected lottery picks, also projected first-round picks. And Blewett doesn't check that box. He's not young. He's a senior. He's not a lottery pick. But if you're just talking about awesome college basketball players for really good college basketball teams, like he deserves probably a little more attention than he's been getting. I agree. I have written about Blewett a lot over his career because um, he was actually fairly good as a freshman. He is a consistent four-year uh score player for for Xavier. I mean, he has been he has been there from the get-go, averaged 11 points as a freshman in addition to 4.2 rebounds and his his numbers have basically gone up uh specifically in points since then. He's more than 2000 points strong. I think he's on pace to be the second all-time leader. I think he still has to pass David West. If he just if he has not or if he has it just happened, if not he's soon to pass David West who was an amazingly awesome player at Xavier. Uh, he was fantastic. Blewett is there, man. He is an, he is an all-time guy uh, with that program and is a stud. If, if we ended the voting today, he would make my first team All-America team uh, with what he's done. And Xavier being on the one line as of right now, two Big East teams, it's been a great thing to see what this team's been able to do on the heels of an unexpected Elite Eight run last season when they were up and down, and frankly, Xavier on the whole last season was an underperforming team prior to March. Blewett's been there, and he has been uh, a key cog in this. Chris Mack knows that he has a special kind of guy who is able to do a lot of things very confidently on the floor, and I'm talking about not just being a leader, having the stones to shoot that um, killer three that he made from way deep in OT. Uh, he can score at the mid-range, score down low, is just a savvy player overall. I have no problem giving Blewett some love because I remember when he was uh, when he was a freshman a few years back, he kind of popped up a little bit out of nowhere, and uh, at least you know, relatively speaking, I mean, he was cer- certainly a solid get on the recruiting trail for Xavier at that time when when he wound up committing. But he was certainly one of the more immediate impact freshmen that wasn't you know considered a top twenty NBA pick kind of deal, and he has uh, consistently remained that. He's an effective shooter, um, really, you know, just. A guy that you want the ball in his hands in the final minute of a game, and I have, I, I have total confidence that Xavier is going to reach the Sweet 16, if not beyond, because of a lot of factors. But more so than anything, I just he he does not run from a big moment, and he'll take the shot, and he's capable of making it. And we've seen so much greatness from him already. And yes, I mean it, greatness. Like to be legitimately a top three player all time at a school like Xavier. That is a great college career. It's not over yet. Xavier at worst, their worst case scenario, and that means like losing games they shouldn't lose, is going to be a three seed. Otherwise, they are very much in in the line for a one. I'll probably slot them as a two. And uh, Xavier fans, so just so you realize this, David Warlock, who he brought clarity. It was funny he tweeted this because I was thinking about it uh, like a couple days before. He brought clarity to a seeding situation, bracketing situation. If Xavier is like the number, uh, the the best two seed on the line, right? If they if they don't wind up being a one, you can't be matched up with a team from your conference in your own bracket. So in theory, Villanova would be that. They can't be in that region, so that would mean Villanova would go to Boston, and you also can't be matched up with the weakest uh, one seed on the line. So they brought they would not be in the same region 
region potentially as as Virginia either. What's probably going to happen with Xavier is they're going to be sent to Omaha. So if you're a Xavier fan, wait a couple more games here. If it looks like they're going to be a two, I can almost guarantee you they'll shoot them out to Omaha in that region where there'll be a two there. And uh, certainly that's close enough where X fans will certainly buy up a lot of tickets. Big time on Blewett. Glad we brought him up. Uh, he will have to play his way off the first-team All-America list as far as I'm concerned. The I completely understand why you think, at worst, Xavier is going to be in the Sweet 16. Uh, I think that's a... Uh, that's a bet. Anyone can take. lose GP, but like you right. see the way this team plays, like it would no, just, it would uh, be uh, stunning with the way that they play for them to blow a first weekend game. The only thing I would say is that they have been in trouble I against know. inferior opponents a lot, more often than others. They were down big at home to East Tennessee State. They were in close games with uh, uh, DePaul in a close game with. I'm just sort of skimming it right now. St. John's twice. They were in a close games. Now, St. John's went on to beat Duke, so whatever. They've been they've been in games against inferior opponents where you go, oh, wow, they might lose this. And to their credit, they didn't. They haven't lost those. But they, they, it's, it's exactly the recipe for you're in a round of 32 game. You're a two seed. You're playing a seven. Fair. And, and, you, and you look up and you go, oh, wow, you know, here they are again. Now, they might just pull it out and go to the Sweet 16. That would be the only thing. Plus, I guess I would say this. Their computer numbers aren't as good as their poll numbers, aren't as good as the numbers you and I are attaching to them. Like, the, the computers don't suggest top eight team in America, whereas the seeds certainly – the seed at this moment certainly would. Uh, but those are – I mean, we're nitpicking here. I mean, we're talking about a team that's 22-3 and three overall, 10-2 and two, uh, in the Big East – and they got a nice little stretch coming up at Creighton, at home against Seton Hall, and then a big one uh, two Saturdays from now uh, against Villanova um, in Cincinnati. So, um, you know, it's you know, look, listen, there's a reason why Louisville fans want to hire Chris Mack, right? This is it. Yeah, no, no <laughs> doubt. Yep, absolutely. This is, this is the reason. Um, let's switch to your hot seat list. It published earlier today at CBSSports.com. If folks haven't checked it out, go do that. Um, listen, a lot of the guys are on there for – normal traditional reasons like just haven't won enough haven't won enough often is aren't recruiting well whatever but there are a handful of unusual cases and i just wanted to touch on them first kevin ollie is on it and i think for obvious reasons i mean that that the idea that that uconn program is in the situation that it's in right now is like unimaginable i don't know that a coach has ever gone and we touched on this in a previous podcast when we we're trying to identify you know, who college coaches said a few years ago was going to be the next uh, college coach to be an NBA coach. Kevin Colley, like Kevin Ollie won that vote. And yet when you were asking me to to try to remember, I couldn't even think of him because he's so far off the radar of that. Like you couldn't imagine him getting an NBA job now. Wins a national championship in 2014 and on the hot seat in 2018. Yeah. And the truth is, if he keeps his job, it'll only be a money thing. I would I mean, agree. All, yeah, and like so, it's just pretty remarkable how quickly that's turned on him. It has. Um, I will say, they have had some serious injuries to some serious players the past yes. few seasons here. That yeah. that definitely has played a role. UConn fans don't give that too much credence. They do want a fresh start overall. And the list, by the way, anyone listening, I presume GP will have it linked in the podcast post on the site. But also, you can check the site. It is a, it's a list of schools that either had hot seat situations coming into the season and now coaches are just about off them or they're just 
these are any reasonable, rational job changes that we could see. I do want to say this. It is not – the FBI or NCAA stuff could change this, okay? But it is not expected to be a very noisy uh, march when it comes to this stuff. That changes – if UConn or Louisville or, you know, I included Arizona, I included Michigan State because it was fair and, and honestly warranted to do that. You, this is all about what jobs, what coaches right now just find themselves on a little bit of, of either shaky ground or they were on it and now have won themselves off it, like Jim Christian at Boston College, Tim Miles at Nebraska. Those were guys that entered the season and they probably done enough just to be off it, but they warranted mentioning. But you remove that. Like, if we don't get anything else out of Arizona and we don't get anything uh, from Michigan State or anything like that, uh, you know, obviously those coaches are going to remain. But if that doesn't happen, okay, then it gets chaotic in a hurry. Um, so those guys are listed overall as well. Um, 19 total from Major 7 conferences I have listed here, and a few of them are all admit or stretches. Like, Bruce Weber is the only guy from the from the Big 12 that's listed, and he barely qualifies. If he makes the tournament, he's not losing that job. Kansas State fans want a new coach, but at this point, Wildcats are a bubble team. He might even keep it if they don't get there. He's the only guy that really – that league just doesn't have a lot of turnover there. And then even, like, you look at the ACC GP. We'll get to Louisville in a second. But, like, BC, I don't think there's going to be a change there unless the bottom drops out. And Pitt I include just because they're terrible, and the move would be validated if they wanted to change out with Stallings. But I'm not expecting a change there. It, it might be the right move, but he's still only two two seasons in. So you do have a little bit of a lull here. Even, like, I have Memphis listed for similar reasons to Stallings. I mean, they lose at ECU. I know you've been talking about this ad nauseum on your radio show there, but and they drop a game that they weren't expected to win anyway. They lose by 20 to Wichita State. Memphis is 14-10, and 10, but the, the program's is just sagging, and I know it's only two years. I'm not expecting a change at Memphis, but Tubby Smith absolutely deserves to be on a list like this. How can you not consider him to be on the hot seat? So just keep in mind, listeners, that not only is it – expected to be a slower year than normal. I had to stretch even to get this many teams on it because if things were going as normal, Memphis wouldn't be on this list. Pitt certainly wouldn't be on this list. Uh, St. John's wasn't supposed to be on this list, and I don't think they'll change from Mullen, but Duke win aside, that program isn't really it's, – it's spinning its wheels, if that, overall. So it is a uh, – it's an intriguing year overall. I, I don't know how many coaches are going to lose their jobs to traditional reasons like, okay – it's run its course here. We just need to change. There will be some of those, but not as many as in most years. So the the guys I wanted to touch on, uh, you touched on most of them there, like that are like unusual circumstances. I think a man winning a national championship and four years later being on the hot seat. Has that happened, um, it, by the way? Maybe a listener I, knows. I, I don't know. I mean, I can't think of anything off the top of my Within head. Within four years of winning a title, has any coach been fired? And, JP, just as a one of our editors asked, who is who had – for non-NCAA reasons, who had the most successful season and then was fired that year? Like, Hallam won the Pac-12, was fired. Ben Hallam, that's it. That's the answer. You, he's, yeah. the only, only, he's the only coach in the history of college basketball to win a Power 5 league, regular season title, and then be fired for non-scandal reasons. Yeah, I wonder if any coach has ever made the Sweet 16 and then been fired. I don't think that's ever happened. Maybe it has. Maybe it happened in, like, 77 or something. But anyway, it was something that uh, our editor asked. I wanted to put it on the podcast because our listeners are amazing. And if it's happened, someone will have the answer. Continue. Um, So, like, you look at Ali. He won that championship. It was kind of fluky. Like, they went 12-6 and in the American that year, finished tied for third. And so, like, this is true about him. 
he is a national championship coach, and he will be forever. He's also never finished higher than third in his league. Yep. And he's uh, and in 2015 finished tied for fifth in IT. Uh, 2016 finished tied for sixth. 2017 last season finished tied for fifth in his league. And right now UConn is, if you can believe this, 11 and 12 overall, four and six in the American. And I know that injuries have taken a toll on that program. But like you're, I'd say about UConn the same thing I'd say about Memphis. You're UConn and you're Memphis. You should never, ever be in the situation that you're in. On Memphis with Tubby, and I, I had Kevin Stallings written down as well because they're similar in that um, they're only in their second years. And that's unusual. Just like considering firing a coach four years after he wins a national championship is unusual. Um, you know, considering firing guys after only two years is unusual. It has happened. Billy Gillespie at Kentucky is a very good example. Um, and what Kentucky decided there accurately was, hey, we thought this was going to work. It's not working. There's no reason to believe it's going to work. What is the point in waiting to year three or waiting to year four? Let's just get on with it, which I, I, I don't know if I subscribed to it at the time. But in hindsight, it's impossible to deny that it was the right decision. It led to John Calipari. It led to all these Final Fours. It led to all these five-star recruits. It led to a national championship. And while I understand Memphis isn't going to be able to hire John Calipari, not this time, and neither, <laughs> and not Pitt either, um, it's undeniable that it's not working at either one of those places. And so what is the point of waiting till year three? Outside of money. Memphis owes Tubby Smith $10 million after this year. I'm not sure what Pitt owes Kevin. Dear but Lord, I'm, is it $10 million? Right at $10 million. He signed a five-year, $15-plus-million-dollar contract. Jeez. I mean, this is where, so this is where ADs can really just hurt themselves. You get in this situation. It's, it's, it's insane. Memphis was like in a bad spot with Josh Pastner because they wanted to make a change, and they couldn't because of a bad contract that they gave him. And then they got a gift from Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech said, we'll take Josh Pastner. And then Memphis literally paid Georgia Tech to take him or paid Josh to go. Like, Josh owed – Per terms of the contract, for Josh to leave Memphis, he owed Memphis money. You know what Memphis did? They said, hey, don't worry about what you owe us. We'll give you a million dollars. Just please take the job. They paid him to go away. Yeah. And so they were free. And then they did this. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like, it's it's insane. And so here's the issue at Memphis now. They're ranked 169th at Kimbom. By the way, Josh Pastor's worst team ever, 90th. And people wanted to, like, murder him. Yeah. Tubby Smith right now has a team that's ranked 169 at Ken Palm, lost four of its last five, including a loss to East Carolina. Got hammered at home, Wichita State, last night. They're only averaging a few thousand fans per game, which is, like, abs- like real money problem for them because they get a $800,000 check from the Memphis Grizzlies every year as long as they put at least – Five or six thousand, I can't remember the number exactly. People in the stands every game. It's why they they're literally giving away tickets to games. They had Cincinnati in town two weeks ago, Saturday afternoon game. So it's not like some Tuesday night late tip where you got school the next day. Top fifteen team. Top ten team. Yeah. They gave away two thousand free tickets. Oh my goodness, that still is. Only, I mean, it's just unheard of. I, like I told people, I can remember. Well, how about this? Mick Cronin told me. Mick says, geez, I was in here four years ago when they had Joe Jackson and Chris Crawford and those guys. 18,000 people sold out. Now they got a half-empty building. They're giving away 2,000 tickets. Like, what happened? 
I just shrug my shoulders. And so there's nothing good happening now at Memphis, nothing good happening now at Pitt, and there's no reason to think anything good's going to change. Like what's what? Tell, uh, this is what I ask Memphis fans all the time. Tell me why next year's going to be better. They signed one player early in the class of 2018. He's a seven foot two project, ranked 300 and like sixth in the country, who doesn't start for his high school team. Same school that recruited Derrick Rose, Tyreek Evans. Amazing. The wild, it's amazing. And so, listen, I am hesitant always to call for a man's job. Like, because you really are, you, you know, it's somebody's career. This isn't fun. Tubby Smith is a good man who's had a good career. But I, I can see no reason to think that it's going to be better. And if you're, as an administration, you've already decided, well, we won't do, we won't put up with this for three straight years. Then, like, why, why are you going to let a third year even come? Because the third year is not going to be good. And at Pitt, I would say the same thing. Like, I think Kevin and Tubby absolutely belong on the list that you created. I don't know if either school will pull the trigger. Money matters here. I don't know if Memphis even has the money. Right. I, but, I can't but, imagine they do. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I don't want to get too into it. I'm not doing the Gary Parrish show in Memphis right now. <laughs> you kind of are, but it's cool. But, <laughs> but here's the here's – the, okay, so they owe him about $10 million. Per the terms of the contract, they can pay it out over six years. So what you do is pay it like whatever it is. Let me see here. Like uh, I've got the number in a file, but I'll just do it here. So it's – um. It's 10 divided by six. So we're talking about $1.6 million a year. Okay. Um, you pay him, you're basically paying him a little more than $3 million a year right now. So you agree to pay him $1.6 million over the next six years. You go out and you hire either Steve Forbes or Penny Hardaway for $1 million a year. And you're still paying less per year for your basketball coach than you are right now. And you've got your fans re engaged. Mm -hmm. If you hire Penny, he's got three top 25 class of 2019 yeah. kids on Team Penny. He could bring them. Presumably he could bring them. And if you hire Forbes, he's just – Forbes is perfect for that job. Um, he would kill it at that job. And so you just hire one of those two guys, and and then you, you you get on with it. So that's the way you could afford to do it. But still, you know, it is, it is committing to paying a man $10 million over six years to not coach your basketball team. Like this is not an ACC, SEC, Big Ten school. They don't have that kind of money. So it's a, it's a complicated situation. But to your point, Tubby, Smith, Kevin Stallings absolutely belong, belong on that list. Um, and then the last thing I would say is that the guys connected to the FBI probe, uh, like they belong on the list. I don't think Michigan State's – I don't think Tom's going to lose his job. Neither and do I, I, I but it would, I yeah. it would have been wrong not to have included him on this right. kind of list. I, I would be actually shocked if Tom Izzo loses his job. I will not be shocked if one of – Bruce Pearl, Sean Miller, Andy Enfield loses their jobs, if not multiple. That would not surprise. I don't think the FBI investigation is done with those guys. I would and, agree. And just there's just there's so much we don't know. We don't know what we don't know sure. yet. And okay, okay. Let's since we since we've developed this game, thousand dollars on the line. Oh boy. Yes or no? Bruce Pearl, Sean Miller, and Andy Enfield still have the jobs a year from today that they have right now. If you are making me say one, I'm saying no. I'm saying one of the three, at least, will not have their job one year from today. If you're I making me choose, I agree with you. 
I just I, I'm not going to bet against a federal investigation <laughs> and any potential people that have been charged offering up information that could further incriminate any of those coaches. There's still so much that that could happen there. And by the way, Bruce Pearl has a new athletic director coming in. And I asked him on the record, you know, are you confident that you're going to be able to hold on to your job? Because, yeah, people have speculated that no matter what happens here, you're having an amazing season you might end up losing it because of what your attachments are here and you've got a new AD coming in. Bruce said to me on the record, I put my faith in God, not man. Well, that's a that's a telling answer. Isn't I it? mean, I I was I couldn't I kind of couldn't believe the answer to be honest. Well, how about this? When Tom Izzo was asked something similar, you know what he said? I'm not resigning. I don't have any like I'm coaching. Like yeah. he was like, "Well, I don't know what you guys are talking about." I mean, as respectfully as he could say it, but he was dismissive of the idea he's not going to be the Michigan State coach. Whereas Bruce comes with I trust God, not man. Well, like, I don't know what that means other than you don't seem very confident. Yeah. Can I throw one more situation at you on my list sure. here? It's mm-hmm. also regional to you, and this is going to be probably the only time, unless this coach uh, gets canned, that we talk about this team on the podcast this year. Old Miss is in a really intriguing situation because Andy Kennedy, uh, from a win perspective and a win percentage perspective, is an all-time coach at that program. Now, they've only made two NCAA tournaments over the past 11 seasons since he's been there, and they're in the midst of their worst season yet under Kennedy. But what he's done, they have a, you know, a revamped venue, really done a lot to just bring the pride of having a basketball program at that university. Kennedy has done a lot there. And... If Ole Miss wanted to make a change, I think it would be justified if you wanted to say, listen, big picture, 12 years, two NCAA tournaments, both times you were a double-digit seed, you've done well, but we're going to start in a new direction. Well, the alternative to that is this. The SEC is trending up. It is getting more competitive by the year. You can say, okay, we're going to have to hire a really competitive coach, or you can say, are we actually going to get a coach in here that's going to average more than 21 wins uh, per season over the next 6 to 8 to 10 years? There's not a guarantee of that. So Ole Miss, I think, Parrish, is in a really tough spot here. You might, but you could get the wrong guy, slip all the way to the bottom of the SEC, and just live there for a half decade. What do you think the program should do? I'll tell you what I think the program's going to do. I think they're going to make a change because he's been there for 12 years, and they're just tired. Like it's it's not unlike, although Andy clearly hasn't won at the level Jamie Dixon won at Pitt, but it's similar in that Pitt fans just wanted something new and they thought they could do better. Even though Jamie went to eleven tournaments in thirteen years, it was like the dumbest thing ever. I like I and that's not even revisionist history. Like I was telling Pitt fans they were dumb then. Um, Ole Miss fans think they can do better. What they fail to realize is that they can also do way worse. Andy Kennedy's career at Ole Miss is among the most misunderstood careers in college basketball. He's never won fewer than seven games in the league. And he's had the either the worst job or the next to worst job in the league the whole time, depending on what you think of South Carolina. He has one of the worst jobs in a Power 5 league in America. Like however you measure such things. They got a brand new facility now. But he just got it. He didn't have it for the first decade. He had a total dump to Smith Coliseum for the first decade. And yet these numbers I'm about to throw at you were before this season started. And obviously this season isn't going well. But since Andy Kennedy became the coach at Ole Miss. um, So let me get the exact year on that. 
That was 0607. So since the 0607 season, what I'm about to tell you is true. Kentucky has had an average finish in the SEC of 1.4. That ranks first. Florida has had an average finish of 4.0. That ranks second. Ole Miss has had an average finish of 4.4. That is a bonker statistic. Ranks it ranks third in in the league. That is then. ridiculous. Total wins since Andy Kennedy was hired. This again, this was coming into this year. Kentucky first, 311. Florida second, 289. Ole Miss third, 234. So uh, this is one of those cases where. Listen, I understand only two NCAA tournaments in 12 years and you want more. I get it. But also, like, what are you supposed to do when you've got in a 14-team league, you've got one of probably the two or three worst jobs? What What is considered? Are you ever supposed to get to the NCAA tournament? Like, and, and I understand you can point to, well, you know, look at Tony Bennett at Washington State. And, like, the, there are extreme examples that you can point to. But... Like, what are you supposed to do at Ole Miss? There's a reason no Ole Miss coach has ever done what Andy did. And the next one probably won't either. And so, listen, I I think they're probably going to make a change because he's been there a long time. And after a while, people just say, you know what? I don't care if we get worse. I just want a shot at getting better. I just want somebody new to look at. I just want somebody new to hear talk. Um, But my guess is, the next coach doesn't doesn't accomplish what Andy's accomplished, and that they'll 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 be worse off for it. Uh, that's what I would that's what I would assume. Yeah. Well, if you want to look at the list, uh, it's up at cbsports.com, and uh, as I write at the top, uh, it's 19 programs, and not all of those obviously. It's uh, we might among the major seven conferences there, we might have 12 or 13 changes if that. It could be slow. If Louisville opens or any other big program opens, that obviously creates a massive domino effect, but uh, we wait and see on that. You and I both have a lot of stuff to do, and we have already gone like I know, we are going four long. But minutes. This has been good. I've enjoyed but, this. But real quick, there is a huge game Thursday night because it's always a huge game, and it's uh, number nine Duke at number 21 North Carolina. Duke, of course, coming off an embarrassing loss to uh, St. John's, and North Carolina was recently on a three-game losing streak. So – and the only thing they broke it with was a game against Pitt. So neither one of these teams are coming in operating um, at their highest levels. But still, uh, what do you think happens Thursday night? Tough one. By the way, Ohio State fans, if your team beats Purdue, I promise we'll talk about them on the next podcast. That's the big that's game a, on Wednesday. That's, that's a deal. Um, it's at Chapel Hill. I, I, this is a weird Duke-UNC game, Parrish. Like it, don't get me wrong. There's hype. There's anticipation. It's always a, you know, th- these teams are on TV. You want to watch it, kind of deal. But I really have no idea what to expect. I think it's more this. important for the loser. Like the loser's yeah. got bigger problems, obviously. But like, if Duke loses, it's two straight losses. If Carolina loses, it's four it's losses a home, and a five game and, and, and it's a and home, it's a home loss, loss to Duke. Right. 
I'm going to take Duke on the road. But side note, Joel Berry said NC State wasn't UNC's rival. That's amazing and hilarious. They play at NC State on Saturday. We'll probably deal with that on the Sunday podcast. <laughs> Any potential fallout, I love Joel Berry for saying, yeah, no, Duke is our rival. NC State, they don't really qualify. That's uh, That was low-key awesome. Um, as for Duke-UNC, I will take awesome the- as a Kentucky player going to parties with an armed guard. That also <laughs> That what, also what, happened. Oh what are you God. doing? I have no idea, man. I don't get that at all. Um, I'm going to take Duke on the road, and I'm not going to be confident in it whatsoever. Um, but give me the Blue Devils, 84 to 84 to 79, and uh, a win on the road here, by the way, uh, against Carolina, even though it's not a very, very strong Carolina team. If Duke did get this, you can hate it all you want, but it actually would do really well for Duke's resume in staying in the hunt for a one seed. Yes, even after losing at St. John's, it's going to be hard for Duke to get a one. The only way it keeps itself alive uh, and in the picture is if it gets a road win here at UNC. Duke's previous best road win, I believe, is probably at Miami. So they haven't done anything like we're asking them to do on Thursday night. But, yeah, I'll take Duke barely in a, in a win at North Carolina, which means – Congratulations, UNC. Yeah. You're, you're guaranteed When to we win pick now the same one, we are we often wrong we together. We, ne- yeah. we never get it right. So congratulations, Tar Heels. Uh, we'll talk about your soon-to-be victory over Duke uh, on Friday's podcast. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle, the legend. Remember to go subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast over at iTunes. Please rate it favorably. Five stars with nice comments. It actually does make a real difference. So uh, we appreciate you. If you just take 10 seconds to do that, we'd owe you forever. And like I said, we're going to talk to you again on Friday. We'll get ready uh, for a big weekend. We'll look back at Duke, North Carolina. So join us then. Till then, take care.